Hello and welcome to another installment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Etchers Adorkru. This week, in light of Ralph Rangnick's appointment to Manchester United, we take a look at Valery Lobanovsky, the man regarded as uh, being the inspiration um, behind the new United head coaches, football and philosophy, and that of many other coaches in the game. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube. Etches, good evening. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. No complaints, sir. Uh, Arsenal about to kick off uh, one of their games. <laughs> one of their games. They're playing Everton. I don't know why I'm so vague <laughs> as to who they're playing. Um, but yeah, it's been a good week. Had a lot of Christmas dinners with friends last week, uh, including including yourself. Mm. Uh, we unfortunately watched Arsenal lose to United in a pub. Um, there was a guy who was wearing terrible attire and looked god-awful. He made a comment about um, the um, Arsenal seconds. But yeah, fair if he's listening and... <sighs> Go to Mark Spencer's and get a new wardrobe. Um, <laughs> looked absolutely abysmal. It's because he was a United fan and I was fuming. I can't remember what he said. He said something like, I don't even know, but I was just there like, mate, go away. Was that Printworks on Saturday? I saw MK, mm. um, to all my listeners, I didn't fully know who MK was. But then when I played his music on Spotify, I did recognise some of his big bangers. Uh, they all played, which was very mm. good. I always think with DJs, they were right. That could be anybody. <laughs> Or play the music. Yeah, what? Yeah, how do you know it was MK? Could be John. Could be Phil with his dog. <laughs> how do you know? Well, there's more. There's probably more of an art to like, you know, like turning up certain elements to this to the music. You know, I'm not a sound technician, even though I do edit these podcasts. Maybe I am a sound technician, but anyway, um, there's probably more to it, and it probably is. So, anyone who's listening who's a DJ, please get in touch and let us know either what really makes a live set different or if you were in that live set and you're playing MK's music, how would you do it? How would I do it? Well, just any listener. Oh uh, yeah, for, for <laughs> I was going to say, because I know how I'll do it. I'll just fucking put the track on and then just, yeah. <laughs> That'd be it. I'd, I'd, I'd wave as well. So it looks legit that I'm the guy. But um, Fair yeah, enough. Um, we'll leave that on there. Um, how you doing, Jordan? Uh Yeah, not bad. I was also at MK. So, um, and also at the Christmas last night uh, last week that you mentioned so yeah um, similar plans to you um have been hard recently um yeah that us that united fan who came over he had a proper grin on his face you know when someone's about to say something about the team you support with a big grin on the face and you just a know it's going to be something rude and b it's just not gonna be that funny yeah you just know it and i could see it as he was coming towards me or come towards us and he was about to speak i was thinking this is just not going to be relevant at all because i mean we we had our, our laptop at the restaurant <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I mean, like this guy, he could I could see from across the room that he'd made eye contact with the laptop and was moving slowly towards it with this grin on his face. I was thinking, nah, this is going to be this is going to be terrible, and it was. So fair play to him. But um, but yeah. So Eches, why are we talking about Ralph Ranić's inspiration, Valery Lobanovsky today? Yeah, I think there's been a lot of um, intrigue about Ralph's appointment for a variety of reasons. I think one. United fans are obviously a little bit triggered that they didn't get a Tenio Conte. And I've got a man mm. who is, he's an, he's a, he, he's like a mentor for a lot of modern coaches. I think he's quite similar to Bielsa. And what I mean by that is he's inspired managers that, if I'm putting it bluntly, are a lot better than he is. I'd put mm. Thomas Tuchel in that category. And I'd probably say uh, Julian Nugglesman as well. 
but he himself has been successful at previous club in terms of Hoffenheim Red Salzburg, um, RB Salzburg. But you, when you're talking about Man United, you know, it's not underwhelming because of the work he's going to do afterwards, potentially as director of football, which he did very well at Salzburg. But he is one of those guys with a huge reputation, but it's more that his ideas have led for other innovative managers to really take to the fore and experiment with and make even better. Um, so I think there's been a lot of intrigue around the appointment mm. and how he will shape United um, in line for a next manager. That might be Pochettino, who knows. Um, he was interviewed for the England job. I remember when Southgate took it on, they, there was talk of Ralph Ragnar getting interviewed and English fans are like, who? He's not done anything in football. Um, I think he's also heralded as uh, being a leading force in moving German football away from its defensive sweeper style characteristics to this fast, uh, direct in terms of speed, not in terms of long balls and also gigan pressing mm. as well. And gigan pressing is uh, the aim uh, to impact the ball as quickly as, uh, as, quickly as possible. Um, either by rushing the man or closing down potential passing options as well as rushing the man. And we've seen loads of top managers do it. You know, Pep Guardiola does it very well. Klopp is relentless with it. Pochettino and Ralph Ragnick himself. The creator of the style is very hard to pinpoint to one person. I think I have to make that very clear. But it's that Valery uh, Lobanovsky's USSR and Dynamo Kiev's teams are one of the leading sides to popularize the style of football. Uh, Ralph Ragnick had this to say about him. He said, in my first time coaching in my hometown in uh, Bakanag, we played against Valery Obanovsky's Dynamo Kiev. I was on the pitch and I told the story many times that after 10 minutes, I had to count the players on the pitch because I felt as if they had one or two players more than my team. After the game, I spoke to Valery Lobanovsky uh, with a translator and they told me they trained every day, pressing all over the pitch every time. So I went to see their training sessions and from then on I knew why they were playing like this and that it was possible to play like this if you constantly work on this on a daily basis in training. So basically either two things happened there. Um, Ralph Ragnick was blown away by um, their style of play um, and had too many drinks the night before and was a bit weary as to how many players <laughs> they had. Or the latter was just that the, the style of play and this is the, obviously the likely option is that the style of play was so impressive and relentless that is something he'd never seen before and that kind of inspired him to obviously coach the way he does so I thought let's look into Valery Lobanovsky and kind of uh, what, what's um, what's he about yeah and some further similarities with Marco Bielsa and that he's spying on training um, although <laughs> it sounds like this he's probably allowed onto the training pitch uh, I'd like to, like to think so um, so yeah I mean you fast forward to current day with Jurgen Klopp there's often games I watch I remember watching Liverpool against Leeds United at Ellen Road, Ellen Road earlier this season and it, Liverpool could have had eight and they probably could have had half that figure in, in the first half. Like they went, they ran riot. If it wasn't for some fairly poor finishing particularly by Diogo Jota that day, they could have done. And it looked throughout that game because they were winning the ball so high up with so many men that they had more, more players on the pitch. Because if you look at the, if you look at that, if you even look at the pitch whilst that was happening, that getting pressing, their own half was probably completely empty. They've got the absolute full 11 or 10 in the other opposition's half. And then so many players, be it wing-backs, as we've seen push so highly, obviously offensive players as well, and probably one of the support midfield players, just overloading, overloading. So, um, yeah, it, it, it rings true that <laughs> um, Ragnik would have thought that there was too many players in the pitch at the time um, for the opposition when you know we've seen that so often, or I think we've seen that so often with current Liverpool. Go back to United. I mean, we did a podcast on um, director of football, roles and what they were. We did that about a year ago. Probably it was over a year ago, actually. And 
we looked at the different clubs and who they had in these these different positions. And I'm not saying Rangnick is going to be taking on a director of football role. It sounds like it's going to be more of a consult on a consultancy basis, um, whatever that really means. Um, but what is clear t- to date is that United really haven't had someone overseeing football operations or as far as we know, we've had Ed Woodward as CEO. We've seen him in the press so so often. Um, stories, I think there's one recently about Zlatan Ibrahimovic and his transfer. Um, and just a lot of stories like that, which are just like embarrassing for the club, but also just signal the fact that there, who's, you know, why is someone like Ed Woodward so close to the first team operation? There should be someone in between. You know, you, Chelsea have had that before with Petr Cech coming in. They've now got Granovsky here. Um, I think Czech's still there, so they still work in tandem. But the point is, there's a link. Ajax have been champion for that with Overmars and Van der Sar. We could talk for ages on that, but United seemingly haven't. They have the board, the Glazers, they have Ed Woodward. There's probably other stuff kicking about, but between Ed Woodward and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, or Solskjaer, who's there? There's hmm. seemingly no one. So they need someone in that position. There's Fergie, who's been in kind of an advisory role, but I think his overall kind of role at the club is still a bit, little bit unknown, really. I mean, I could be enlightened on that, but I don't think it's too clear what he does. So someone like Rania coming in there, perhaps he would really um, have a great influence on the club going forward, which they need. <laughs> I think that's very clear. Yeah, I completely agree with that one as well. And yeah, United have, they've softened the blow being an Arsenal fan for so long because they've just not really done much considering they were the dominant force in English football for the best part of nearly two decades. Um, or always mm. there or thereabouts, if, even if they weren't top. Um, and to see them where they are now was good, but it seems that they've taken a step in the right direction by hiring Ralph, and it remains to be seen if he's that guy, but it looks like he may well be. So who is Lobanovsky? That's the age-old question. Well, he was born in Kiev, which was then part of the USSR. Um, fairly brief playing career, ended when he was playing 29, having played at Dynamo Kiev, Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, and Kromorot Odessa from the late 50s to the late 60s. Uh, he represented the Soviet Union twice before moving on to management, where he managed uh, Dnipro Nopropetrovsk, which uh, nice. he first uh, could be managed from 68 to 73. He then moved back to Dynamo Kiev, um, where Lobanovsky moved his former club. Um, he actually managed by a former teammate called Ole Bazilevich. Uh, these two worked as a duo until 1976, which reminds me of Roy Evans and Gerard Hulia at Liverpool. Um, these two managed together for a lot longer, um, but, um, mm. three years roughly. Um, but yeah, I remember Roy Evans and Gerard Hulia and how badly that went. But um, yeah, both managers had equal rights. Bazilevich was a theorist, while Lobanovsky was in charge of the training process. So mm. I assume in theorist is more of the tactician. Uh, Lobanovsky is a big believer in understanding player loads, which actually is really quite early in terms of player loads and management. We see how detailed that is today with companies like StatDNA that will tell you all sorts of information about players running mm. and heart rate. But Lobanovsky was a big believer in that an early uh, adopted data scientists into his team to actually um, make sure the players are loaded correctly and how you could train them in his uh, mm. some of his methods. Some difficult names to pronounce on this podcast. So well did I choose just to jump in there. Yeah, with that. It's, it's, uh, it's good to shed the light on some of the Eastern Europeans, big countries and former greats, um, mm. for a former powerhouse in European football. But unfortunately, um, as the Western 
countries have taken a stranglehold. They've 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 struggled. Go back to Dynamo Kiev in '75. They won the European Cup Winners' Cup, which was very highly regarded um, at the time. You know, some elite sides won it, including Arsenal actually in '94. Um, mm. And they also won the European Super Cup as well. Uh, Dynamo Kiev became the first Soviet club to win a, a major European trophy, which is also impressive. Mm. Um, as well but unfortunately there was an internal rift at the club in 1976 which meant Bazalevich uh, left in 76. Uh, Lobanovsky also left again to manage the Soviet Union solely in 82 um, but returned after a year by getting because he was sacked by the national team. When he mm-hmm. returned he was again successful winning the Cup Winners Cup again in 86 defeating Atletico Madrid 3-0. He kind of just flirted with the Soviet Union Dynamo here for ages until 1990 where he had a clean break um, and he headed to the Middle East to manage. Mm-hmm. He returned to Kiev again in 97 where his side reached Champions League semi-final in 1999 where a young Adrian Shevchenko was a star of the team before he was sold to AC Milan along with Oleg Luzhny to Arsenal who apparently is one of Arsenal's worst centre-backs of all time. Sergei <laughs> Rebrov to Spurs who my, my father remembers fondly and Kaka Kaladze who went to AC Milan. Interestingly about Lobanovsky which I this is another question as well. I couldn't find the answer for it. He's managed three Ballon d'Or winners in Oleg Blokhin, uh, Igor Belanov and Adrian Shevchenko. And you know what? I actually think that might be a record. Mm. I don't know if a manager would have managed three. So even someone like Ferguson managed one. He only managed Ronaldo. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think any manager has has won more than has managed to coach that many players to actually win the Ballon d'Or. I don't know. It's, it sounds it sounds very impressive to have coached three, to be fair. so Yeah. You think about the like, AC Milan teams and like Ancelotti even further back. It's like Rigasaki and stuff. Like Ancelotti's teams, I mean, you had Ronaldinho and Kaka on the same side. Did Kaka win the Ballon d'Or? Yeah, but they... Um, but he didn't coach... When did, when did Ancelotti coach Ronaldinho? Mm, yeah. He wasn't there in 2008. When Ronaldinho yeah. moved there, so someone like Sachi wouldn't have managed in football for long enough. Yeah, uh, well, not at, not at the top level. And then I would say someone like uh, maybe actually Ancelotti could be a good one. I'd have to look into that one. But yeah, that's a that's a quiz question for next time. <laughs> yeah, we we also did a podcast episode on Shakhtar Donetsk last year as well. Um, so just back to that point around. Um, you know, Daniel Keogh being the first uh, team from the Soviet Union to win a European competition. Um, Shatter Donetsk were the first from kind of that region to win, or at least the first Ukrainian side to win the UEFA Cup in 2009. But aside from that, from teams from that region, the USSR, from Ukraine, there's not too many teams that have tasted success on the European stage. So, you know, Lobanovsky's achievements truly really were remarkable. And this is before the time of current commercialization and top five leagues being so far and away the biggest revenue spinners and arguably having the best sides. Um, well, not really arguably, but have the best sides. Um, so the t- it was a time when perhaps the, aside from m- many more nations, if they glowed up as a team and you had someone like Lobanovsky come in and, and uh, implement a great strategy and great philosophy, then possibly it's more likely that they could win um, European competition, but still, it's still such a, an achievement and, it just goes to show how progressive and aggressive his playing style was and how much it seemed to work. And, you know, as as we touched on, it's, it seems to still be going strong today. Yeah, very much so. Um, unfortunately, 
Mumbai Solomonovsky, he had to deal with health issues in 88 where he suffered his first heart attack. Um, he, he basically, his health was deteriorating from that point onwards. He suffered his second heart attack in the autumn of 2001, which required surgery. Uh, he couldn't travel to any of Dynamo Kiev's away games due to hypertension that was banned from uh, traveling by air. Uh, in 2002, in a, uh, one of Dynamo Kiev's games, he unfortunately... Um, Lobanovsky fainted and was hospitalized with a stroke. Uh, Lobanovsky mm. then went through a brain surgery and his health was listed as critical. Um, but yeah, Lobanovsky unfortunately didn't uh, regain consciousness and therefore passed away in the 7th of May 2002. So I wanted to kind of move on to his legacy and kind of like what that looks like because he's one of those people where the average football fan, um, except for me because I'm uh, far better and greater than the average football fan. Um, <laughs> Uh, don't know anything about him. Um, they just don't because they weren't accustomed to knowing a great deal about some of those teams at that time. Even p- our parents' generation may not know him as well because it was harder to watch Dynamo Kiev. And they, mm. even though they were relatively su- successful in Europe, um, they never actually won the Champions League, which is probably what was televised a lot more back then, rather than all of the cup competitions. And even though they had some great players, maybe it was more the USSR that people would have seen at World Cups, etc. But mm-hmm. along with uh, Renus Mikels, um, Lobanovsky is recognised as being the inventor of, um, you know, the major playing style known as total football in the seventies. Uh, Renus Mikels was in was at Ajax during that time, and you know that total football is a coined with that term where it was almost like the perfect sort of what modern football should look like and is still being used today, or certain mm-hmm. variants of it. Um, according to Lobanovsky, the revolutionary process in football ended in nineteen seventy four, which is ages ago and we'll come to that bit a little bit later on but Lobanovsky was also credited with bringing a scientific and analytical approach to the game with a strong emphasis on fitness and diet which is interesting when we spoke a lot about player loads and stuff because a lot of that is manual as I said stat DNA now you need some analysts like myself to just run some data which is relatively straightforward but back then that'd be a lot Mm. of manual work a lot of calculator work a lot Mm. of reading and measurements to get the results that you need obviously it wouldn't be as accurate as today but still very impressive uh for that time um many observers recommend recognize lobanovsky as the first person to really bring science into football you know um and it, it definitely seems from the readings that i've i've seen and from comments from players and staff that he was definitely ahead of his time yeah, I mean, that's, that's incorrect because it's actually widely known that Peter Reid brought Cy into the football during his stint at Sunderland between 1995 and 2002. So I'd just like to rebuke, refute that um, allegation made on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, Peter Reid, a legend of the pod. would love to have him on any time. You know so, that when, when Peter Reid was managing at Sunderland, I didn't even realise this because I was too young, but he also then coached the under-21s for England whilst being oh, managed really? at Sunderland. I need to get a bit more context to this because I was, when I was, putting that joke into the notes, I thought I'll just check what date he was at Sunderland. And I noticed he was also coaching them 21s. So a bit bizarre if so. Um, busy man. Busy man. Yeah. And I think like the kind of discussion I wanted to touch on, which is what I alluded to earlier was, is there anything to discover in football? Or have we seen it all before? So it's interesting that Lobanovsky said that. And, you know, I, I do see this a lot. I think there's a lot of things that I've seen as a football fan now that I'm 28, sort of soon to be 28, watched football for, or sorry, soon to be 42. Um, and football's been going <laughs> on for obviously a very long time. 
And I think about the Arsene Wenger teams, not so much the Ferguson sides, because I always felt Ferguson was very adaptable and didn't have a necessary style. But I think about the Barcelona teams under Klopp. I think about Mourinho's Inter. I think about Mourinho coming to the Premier League. I think about Klopp's Dortmund and Liverpool. And I think about even the uh, very late bits of some of AC Milan and what they were doing and that sort of stuff. And even Bayern Munich under Jupp Henkes and um, even very recently under the guy, I've now forgotten his name, the Germany coach. Um, oh, I've forgotten his name. Ralph Rangnick? No, not Ralph Rangnick. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those where it's like, have we seen everything in football already? Like, you know, all of these things that go in cycles, right? We've seen possession-hungry sides like Pep Guardiola's teams, and that was in the 70s before. Sachi brought in zonal marking, which changed Italian football and got rid of stoppers. We've seen counter-attacking teams, which the Germans, the national side, and the Joachim Lowe became synonymous with as long as even Leicester, where they used to sit deep, have 20% possession, but then just score on the break and, and win football matches. So, like... Will there be any innovations left in football? It, it's such an open-ended question where you could go either way. I, I, I will say this. Chris Wilder's overlapping CBs was literally never before seen as far as I'm aware, which is pretty cool. <laughs> it's not been adopted as widely as you would have maybe thought, but it, yeah, that was interesting. But yeah, I guess. But then also there lies in beauty, the creation of innovation, right? It's very obvious that, you'd say football is completed until someone does something. You're like, oh yeah, you know, that is, you know, that does make a lot of sense. Um, so perhaps we're just waiting for that um, true innovator of the game to see something and, uh, and do it. Yeah. Agreed. I think originality becomes more difficult to prove over time. Um, as you allude to like something like Klopp style, for example, he seems to be this inspiration coming from, you know, before with Lobanowski and co um, but they still adapt that to the way in which the game has changed or the way in which they want to play. So it's difficult for, I think, a manager now to really say that they own a style for that reason because it's, you know football has changed in terms of stadiums have changed, player dives have changed, how good players are and how physical they are has changed. A lot has changed over time, the commercialisation, but there's still 11 players in the pitch. The rules are still fairly similar. There's so many variations of those players being on the pitch that in that you can enforce to produce a different style of football. There is a million, there's probably a million different variations, but fund, the fundamental way of setting up a side um, and the, the overarching philosophies that dictate how certain teams play, you know, possession being a team that keeps possession to starve the opposition before trying to explo- exploit airspace, a team that presses um, really high to get their possession back really high up the pitch near the, near the goal. These are all concepts that there's only so many of those concepts that can exist but the current managers, current coaches are taking those concepts and adapting them to um, either the playing staff that they have or the way in which they want to exploit um, teams themselves. You know, Klopp's use of Trent has been, or just wingbacks generally, has been touted as being, has been kind of um, innovative, uh, even though his style, his pressing style has is, is got forefathers. Perhaps they might not have used someone like Trent. I mean, they didn't have Trent, but someone like him in such an advanced way, pressing so high with him. They might have done, but... There's still the way in which he could have adapted that would be make it his own in a very slight way. If not, it would make him the father of a particular style, but he would be able to own that particular variation of it. So I guess that's the point. And um, yeah, I think back to the, what I touched on before, I think the evolution, evolution of the football player over time could could impact you know, the evolution of philosophies and how teams play. You know, 
but is it relative? I suppose we've got forwards now who are quicker than they've ever been, but we've also got centre backs that are quicker than they've ever been, <laughs> quicker than they've ever been. So is that relative? You know, we've got Van Dijk now who can match some of the best forwards in the world for pace, and so um, is that is that relative or? Is the fact that these players have become a lot quicker footballers at pace on the game has become a lot faster. Um, has that lent itself to a more high pressing, high intensity philosophy? These players can also run for, for further distances over longer periods. Has that lent itself to this pressing style that has become almost a gym? We've talked, I think I saw an article recently about the the Germanification of the Premier League. Um, that maybe it, maybe it owes itself more to the history and the, the players that currently occupy the league, but. I get the impression that the pressing style and high intensity football is, is could potentially be here to stay, largely because we have got now the capabilities at player level to achieve them. So it's um yeah. I think it's one of those ones where it's you want players to be able to do more because they're physically more impressive. So something like pressing would be one of those reasons. But also other things as well, like, you know, teams that sit deep but counter very quickly, but also mm. come back into shape very quickly because there's the element around, okay, if we lose an attack, I think mean, this is what Mourinho specialised in tactical periodization of when that team loses the ball, how vulnerable are they? So if you say deep, 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 then you counter, but you don't score, then how are that team going to respond and be able to get back on top of you? And I think mm. because players are so physically impressive, they can press a lot higher and maybe teams that sit deep can counter at real, real speed. They've got guys that can run the pitch in 10 12 mm. seconds flat constantly which then provides whole new different dimension in terms of what players can do and they can do it for a lot longer you've got smaller sides as well again these or even big teams that sit deep as well concentration is better fitness is better you know so therefore they're happy to not have the ball for 20 minutes and they can just jog around and chase and chase and chase and chase and that's the beauty of modern medicine and it's only um i guess we have to wait and see how far it can go yeah, no, agreed. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll wrap up there. Uh, Cheers, thanks for the um, information on Lobanovsky. Uh, congratulations on some of the pronunciations as well, because they were um, top draw. Um, but yeah, Ralph Rangnick is is now at the Premier League, in the Premier League. So we'll see if United can finally um, get back to the way they used to be. Um, they have been faltering for a while, so it will really be a shake up to the league um, if they do. But again thanks guys for listening as always please subscribe to us on all our platforms and we will catch you next time cheers guys